The uh, title of the lesson is uh, Emotional Amnesia. So, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And uh, if you think about amnesia, it's a serious, uh, serious condition. It's really you can't remember uh, what has happened. And the definition, literally, of uh, amnesia, the medical de de definition from the Mayo Clinic, uh, is amnesia refers to the loss of memories such as facts, information, and experiences. Though forgetting your identity is a common plot device in the movies or in television, that's not generally the case in real-life amnesia. Instead, people with amnesia, also called amnestic syndrome, usually know who they are still, but they cannot remember facts, memories, or past experiences that they've had. Um, because, you know, you see in the movies, it's like they can't remember who they are either. That's not really that common. Um, and let's pick it up in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. And I want to say thank you so much, Mitch and Priscilla, for doing the welcome. Yeah. And uh, Kenji and Afonso for sharing your hearts and communion, being real. And Chamba for sharing contribution. And, and Charles and all the song leaders here live. You know, uh, as you know, we've all, since March, since the second week in March, we've all been pretty much quarantined. I know we have not met publicly as a church since mid-March, and uh, yet we've still showed God that we are fully committed to Him through the first and greatest commandment, love God with all your hearts, and then we realize one another. I, I want to commend the church. I believe that we've even seen the, the, the importance of staying uh, connected through the technology of Zoom and phone and even meeting together with the social distancing and whatnot and pray for us because in the future as it, you know, as it starts to get uh, a little bit cooler at the end of the summer, if we're still running through this, we're going to try to get some parks where we can meet in parks yeah, because uh, uh, we're not going to let uh, some like a virus stop us from uh, uh, praising God, but we still will be humble toward it. But it is great to have a little audience here of brothers and sisters <laughs> worshiping God. So let's look and see in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. And, you know, um, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. Now, verse 1 in the message version, I want to reiterate, and just, it says, remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the provincial cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. So, to, to be ignorant is the same thing as remember. Being ignorant means that you, 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 you purposely weren't taught. You were untaught. You didn't get, you didn't educate yourself. Ignorant is not stupidity. Ignorance is just lack of, of learning. You don't want to learn because everybody starts out ignorant. Yeah. We have to learn. Yep. But if you don't want to learn, then you won't be able to remember because you got nothing to remember because you didn't learn. And he's saying it's very important to know your history. <laughs> um, you think about this. In verse 2, it says, They were all baptized into Moses 
in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, very interesting. I love how they use the word baptism here because it's such a powerful word, and I don't know why so many people can uh, misunderstand it, but really what it's meaning is they were under the cloud, which means the, uh, they were under the protection of God. And then the, he says baptizing uh, them through Moses, uh, it, it, through the sea, through the waters uh, as Moses led them, is basically saying uh, the supernatural guidance and deliverance baptized into Moses meaning that they were, they were saved through the water that split open. I mean, salvation is how we become saved. And uh, it, it's like you go, you, you, you think you're dead, but, you, but you're alive again. I mean, it, it's very powerful. And if you look at, um, let's pick it up in verse... In verse uh, 3, it says, They all ate! the same spiritual food. So notice, notice the, the common theme here he's saying. We were all under the cloud. We were all baptized into Moses. We all saw these things happen. We saw God Almighty's power. Verse 3, we all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. drink. Uh, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. See, he's saying, guys, he's talking about the Old Testament, the men and women of God that saw these amazing miracles and were all together. Every one of them saw the power of God in their lives per per collectively. And then it says... Even though that all happened, nevertheless, in verse 5, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Yeah. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as an example and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So, we think about this. Um, here is an incredible, incredible reminder of how we need to remember. So, we need to not get emotional amnesia. You know what happens when you get emotionally upset or emotionally, your emotions are spurred on by a sinful response or you're angry 
or something happens when you when you start to to to, to think and drift from God into a sinful way, emotions are not spiritual. And emotional emotions from sin cause you to not remember. So point number one is grumblers forget God's providence easy. Grumblers, complainers, cynicism, cynics. The whole world is pretty cynical, I think. Everybody's just waiting for the next thing to happen and everybody's letting us down and you know, everybody's criticizing everybody. If you watch the news and TV, it's like you can watch one channel, they're all criticizing one and the other. It's, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's almost like I feel like, am I watching, am I on the same planet? You know? Uh, and I'm not even talking about taking sides. I'm just sucking like, man, the, the whole rhythm is just to attack and tear apart what someone else says. It's all like breaking it down. You're lying. There's got to be a lie there. There's got to be something there. So see, Grumblers don't even understand God's blessings. And let's look at Exodus chapter 32 and go back and see what here Paul was talking about, because that's what he was talking about. He was talking about, guys, remember this time. And if you notice the Bible, the Bible over and over and over tells us to remember, not to drift away, to to, to think about these things, to meditate on God, uh, to remind yourself what God has done in your life. Uh, to remind yourself what God is doing right now. You're alive. Um, And everything, good, bad, and ugly, you should give gratitude to God for because there's a reason and a purpose if you're focused spiritually. There's a reason he's allowing something to happen to you, causing something to happen to you, and it's not all sunshine and rainbows. The Bible says in uh, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So, wow, that just kind of trumps us all, right? Keeps us speechless. Uh, so let's look, in Acts, I mean, let's look in Exodus 32. Here we see that those great things we read about in 1 Corinthians 10 had happened. God used Moses to free God's people, let my people go. And there was a lot of hammering on Pharaoh, a lot of uh, plagues, you know, plagues sent by God. A plague even was sent that a virus was sent that killed every single little baby boy in Egypt except for the Hebrew boys that put blood across their door. They were protected by the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice showing that they were gods. So, uh, you know, don't be too scared of viruses or plagues because God's either allowed them or caused them to, to come and... You know, it, just like in anything else, if it's meant to be by you, if you have faith, you're going to navigate. Amen? Amen. Um, and, and, and so see, here we see in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods who will go before us as this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. So they've got out miracle after miracle they saw Sea opening, rescued from the Egyptians, cloud over their head, manna from heaven rained down, need after need after need when the fears were confronted were met. Verse 2, Aaron answered, take off your gold earrings that your wives and sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed to him and made it into a cast, made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said, 
These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. You know what's really interesting? Is sometimes we think it was a really splendorous golden calf. No, this was probably... Uh, had a, a, a wood. It was probably wood model. There's no way they could have melted all their rings and everything. Had like your picture in some like art gallery with the fine, smooth gold cow. No, it looked probably like a piece of junk. It was just you know wooden. It probably was wooden strapped together, whatever. And then they metal metaled their little rings and everything all over and said, "Here's your god." And uh, but then Aaron. You see, it's it's pretty interesting because Aaron. Um, actually takes note that uh, it's very interesting how in verse 5, Aaron saw this and he built an altar in front of the calf and announced tomorrow there'll be a festival of the Lord. I believe Aaron made a rash, weak decision by peer pressure, intimidation, and I don't believe he was trying to say, let's follow another God. I feel like he was pleasing the people because they wanted to see uh, something to represent God. And I don't even think the people were looking for necessarily totally another God. They were just realizing if I can see something, we can worship it. And I think Aaron actually, why would he build another altar right in front of the calf? I think in his mind, subconsciously, he goes, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? And then it's, it, he wasn't had enough guts to come up and go, stop, what are we doing? So he just built another altar. Like, God, okay, we're still going to be with you, but I got to make sure I don't want to make everybody unhappy. I got to please everybody. You know what I mean? That's compromising convictions. And um, in verse 6, it says, So the next day people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, revelry is partying, is, is, is crazy, like we saw in that video. So uh, it, it's like out of control partying. Um, so we see that it slowly started out like they thought hey let us have an idol let us have something to look at Moses is gone Moses was the really issue was it wasn't really God missing it was leadership see whoever you are as a person uh, with God is really what you represent to people that don't know God or, or, or are learning you God gives each one of us faith for a reason yes to stay faithful to God but faith it cannot be seen but faith can be inspiring to other people so Moses wasn't gone that long, 40 days, but they were, they were like, Moses had such a powerful faith that their faith was wavering because Aaron was fickle. Aaron was not a solid leader at that time. He blew it. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm just telling you. He was an elegant speaker because even when Moses was asked to go, he goes, I don't want, I can't go, I mumble, I, I stutter. Oh. And God just kept saying, you know, the burning bush, he said, no, 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 I'm going to give you, uh, Aaron's going to go with you and speak for you. That means Aaron was a good speaker. He could speak well, but he still was insecure. And he wasn't willing to step up and say, no, guys, Moses on the mountain with God, and we need to stay focused. Um, So uh, then then the Lord said to Moses in verse 7, now what I want you to see here real quick, though, is in verse 6, the next day... The people rose early, sacrificed burnt offerings, and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the, next, then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people 
whom you brought up out of Egypt have been corrupt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I've commanded. Now, idols again. You notice how God just breaks? It's a kind of an awkward time. Because God says, come up, Moses. And, and, and God is spending time with Moses, and, and there's conversations going on. And then it kind of just abruptly, God switches gears. Right in the middle, he says, you need to go back down. The Lord said, then the Lord said, just go, go down. He, he just breaks that. They're talking. He didn't even know what's going on. He goes, go down. Because your people. So God switches gears. They're not my people anymore. Right. God's like ticked off. God's like, you know what? Your people. Earlier, he says, my people. You will be my people. You will be my God. You got to see God's got some feelings. Yeah. And he says here, uh, your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bound down to it, sacrificed to it, and have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I'll make you a great nation. Now you've got to understand how deep this is right here. God doesn't uh, go back and mind, but, but he is very, very uh, grieved. Because you know he made a covenant with Abraham and Isaac, he said, all nations. He's saying here he's going to break that. Wow. He's saying here, I'm going to take them out. I'm, they're, your, they're not even my people anymore. I'm just sick of it. Yeah. I've done everything. What else can I do? They blow me off and backstab me every time. Mm. And it's like, I, can't, I don't know what else I can do. I've had a cloud. I've parted the sea. I've fed them. I've met them. I've, and he says, now they're your people. And he goes, I'm going to destroy them. And then he says, I'm going to make you into a new nation. So he's saying for a moment, Moses, we're going to start all over again, and I'm going to make you out of nation. So that means that would cancel out what he's saying with Abraham. Yeah. But God, is God, like, uh, contradicting his own word? No, he's being open about where he's at right now and how he's feeling. I want you to know in your prayer life, God's, law, God's word, we can't change God's word. But we, God's got a lot of grace with us, and we can motivate and persuade God, and we need to look at each other like that, have mercy. Because look at Moses. Moses sought the favor of the Lord in verse 11, uh, his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was the, with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? See, He's saying, listen, they're all going to say, you're saying you're a good God. You want all people to be saved, come to knowledge of truth. And we're trying our best. You know, I, I mean, they're out there. I'm going to go down and deal with it. But these are people that you, if you wipe them out, you're, you're totally going to contradict. Why would anybody want to be interested in you? God, basically, he's saying, God, you can't do that. They're, they're, they're all going to go, who is this God? He brought them out just to wipe them out? And look what he says to God. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and don't bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, to whom you swore to yourself. I will make your descendants as numerous as stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and, and, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant of the law in his hands, and they were uh, 
inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is the sound of defeat. It is the sound of it is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them into pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf and the people uh, had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it to powder, scattering it on water and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, what did these people do to you? What led you, what led, uh, that you led them into such great sin? You notice how he goes after leadership? Because yeah. what did they do to get you to be so weak in your convictions to hold the line? Come on. He says, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods and who will go before us. As for uh, this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt. We don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and it came out, and, came, and out came this calf. What a, <laughs> God. Isn't it really excuses and, 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 and pushing the blame and not just being humble and just going, I totally caved. Yeah. I totally blew it. Right. Moses saw that the people were running wild. And that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So, so uh, he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. He said, Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says Each man strap a sword on his side, go back and forth through the camp, one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded in the day. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you've set apart to the Lord today for you were against your own sons and brothers and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to, his, to the people, you have committed a great sin and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord. Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with the plague because of what they did with the calf. Aaron had made. Now you guys might think, wow, what kind of, what's going on here? Well, you know what's going on here is if you were in that community and that was all you had in the middle of nowhere, what happens if he doesn't settle the accounts that radically? If sin destroys us and we lose God, what happens in that time? See, here in the church, we don't do that but we're that convicted that we're not going to tolerate unrepentant, deliberately contemptuous sin and allow people to be deceived right. and not tell them the truth. Come on. And in the church, God wants all people to be saved, but we have to be that radical 
uh, with grace, not in a judgmental way, but we got to realize that sin will destroy a society. Sin will destroy a church. Sin will destroy one individual at a time and weaken people's convictions to the point where you are so deceived, you're, 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 you think you're worshiping, but you're in the clubs. You're right with God, because that's what they're doing. When they got the heavy rivalry, they were, they were in the clubs. They were having sexual morality. They were getting wasted. They, they were out. They were going they were out of control. But it started out as just like, let's worship God. And see, guys, we, we can go to what we feel like, and, and that's not going to help us. Now, let me ask you about fear. First of all, how much conviction do you have on sin? Um, it's not if you sin, it's when you sin. And, and then really the acid test is how you respond to the Bible. Because it's not about earning it. It's not about working for it. It's about responding to sin. So when you know you're in sin, do you have a deep conviction that nothing is more important than me getting a conviction on I'm in sin? Maybe that's what's needed first because you may not even feel motivated to change. But you got to, you know, that's why God gives us things to do. Fast, pray, be open with one another. Uh, and, you know, if we're not open with one another, we'll become people that show up and talk about God and smile, but we're afraid to be open and we have sin in our lives because we have sin in our lives. That's why. You know, you know there's a story that, uh, and I want, I want to give you a little story of the uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of Narcotics Anonymous. It's like Alcohol Anonymous. Yeah. Uh, the, the beginning of on how that started was there was heroin addicts in the early 1900s, which was impossible at that time, they believed, for someone to get off it. They couldn't quit. People were dying, and when they were in heroin, it was almost like there's no way to quit. They didn't have any way to do it. They even had certain camps they'd put people in, and they thought by... By, by abusing them or, 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 or using uh, corporal punishment, that would get them. It didn't do it. They just tried different ways. So there was a group of guys meeting, at a, just getting together and trying to talk, and they were saying, let's try to support each other. And, and uh, an addict came to the meeting actually high. And it was for sobriety, but he was high. And then the, uh, one of the other addicts noticed the intoxicated person and said, and he, he started going after him, get out of here, leave, You're in anger. And the intoxicated person refused to leave. Then another guy commented to the guy trying to force the intoxicated person out, saying, you were high a week ago. Then slowly, one by one, started opening up going, I got drunk last night. I smoked weed two days ago. And they started realizing it started to actually naturally change them because they all were afraid to get open. There was this fear. They all wanted the same thing. But obviously, this guy was so obvious. Everybody was just saying, get out of here. But they all had their own little secret guilt sins. Yeah. And what happened is they started to open. And that's how it bred this incredible group that is self-supportive is self and anonymous, but all around the world, they say there's like a meeting you can get to almost every hour in every city. Yeah. And it's self-supportive, and you can just look it up. And it's anonymous, but, but it keeps going because it allows you to walk in. Because anybody who comes in that meeting, they're saying, I, I need help. They're saying, I blew it again. I'm, 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 I need help. Right. See, that's what the church needs to be. 
if you're saved by grace, you're still walking in going, I need help. Now, you're not lost anymore because you found the truth. So you know the direction. You made a commitment to follow Jesus. But you're still, now you get fooled to think, I'm not going to, I'm just righteous. No, yeah. you've sinned this week. Amen. I've sinned this week. Yeah. And why you don't have to, you, you need to keep telling each other your sin unless you just all of a sudden say, I disagree with the word of God now and I made a mistake and I don't believe Jesus is the son of God. Right. Now that would be another problem. Right. But if you still agree with the plan of Jesus, then you agree with grace. Then we need to go to John, 1 John 1 verse 5 because if we don't continue to allow ourselves, we want to do our best, but we can't just allow ourselves to get into this fake worship yeah, come on. Yeah. and not realize that we need grace on our best day. Amen. And in 1 John 1, 5, otherwise we're going to beat ourselves up and feel not worthy. I woke up this morning uh, just not feeling good. Not, not physically, just feeling uh, blah. Do you ever feel blah? I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, blah. Yeah, just not, you know, it's not like I disagreed with God. It's not like I did anything. I just, my brain wasn't going. I was, by last night, this week, I, I have like three sermons. I go, I don't even know, God, please make it clear what I should preach. And I'm writing everything down, and I'm feeling like it's not clear. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I just, I just, God. Uh, and then I, I'm going, what's wrong? And I can't put my finger on it, except I can just say, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> Come on. I don't feel like it. See, and see, God had enough grace unto me to realize, well, the church is at your house, so you have no choice, so you have to crawl out of bed, and that's because you're just weaker than most people, so we put you as minister, and now we got you in a position where you're going to have to be up. I'm, I mean, I'm, part of me, I, that's the way I look at it. I, I don't take any credit for anything. I go, whatever God puts you in or where he puts you, it's just because you need that help. Yeah. So the guys that are leading probably are the ones that said, if you didn't do this, you wouldn't make it. But you got to realize that in every one of your lives. You, you, you don't take credit for nothing. Yeah. But what I'm trying to say is I'm still here, and I'm talking, and I'm preaching, and I'm going, God, help me. And the, and the sermon's a little bit discombobulated, I feel like. And I don't like doing that, but I, have, I tried my hardest. So in 1 John 1, 5, it says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. And we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies from all. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. See, the realization that so many were falling short but not getting open, seeing that confessing their sins to each other is what made the addicts in that beginning movement actually keep coming back. Yeah. Because they didn't look at it like, oh, great, it's a free pass. You can get wasted and come to the meeting. No, those people would eventually not come back. The ones that went, oh my gosh, they're still going to work with me and they're not going to, they're going to bring it up, but I can actually get open that I slipped last week, that I sinned last week or I sinned last night in drinking or drugs and no one's going to ostracize me and I'm open. And why I'm saying that is I don't want to do it. Right. 
So what keeps coming back is there's this innate inner side. I want to do better. I want to be able to go, I'm 25 days sober. I'm six months sober. See, as a man of God or woman of God, say, I want to say I'm strong in the grace, and this is who I am. And this is still the sins I have, but I don't want to be a sinner. And this is what I, this is what I need grace for. And that helps each one of us, because we're not just going to, a true to Christian is not just going to go, oh, good, I'm going to play. I'm gonna, I, I can come to church and just keep diving into sin. You'll eventually leave. You won't come back. Yeah. If you don't really want to fight. But if you feel like you can get open and still show your weakness and get encouragement, it's going to innately challenge you to go, what do I need to do, God, to overcome this? Yeah. And openness breeds openness. Amen. So. Let me ask you a couple questions here. Look in Matthew 14, 22. Come on. Faith. So when we get spiritual amnesia, it's because when we get in sin, and you see how these people with Moses, they were all fired up. They were singing and fired up when they left Egypt. And they got spiritual amnesia. And they started complaining and grumbling. And when they were leaving Egypt, they were like, I can't believe we're leaving. Are we leaving? They're letting us leave. Imagine too many people walking out. They were singing all the stuff. And then Egyptians were coming out of their houses going, here's some gold and here's some money. Here's some stuff. Because God says, I'm going to plunder them. So now they're walking out and people are going, here, have this, have that. And they're like, what? These are the people that were whipping me all these times. Now they're giving me all my stuff. And they're, they're leaving. They're going, we're leaving. They were like, oh, my God, they weren't complaining. They weren't going, it's too hot. Where are we going? They were going, I can't believe I'm free. Then they get out for a little while, and, they get, and then things are getting not, not working out. And sorry, I forgot I'm on camera. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, then they start, uh, then they start, uh, I was over here, and India's over in the back audience. She's like, I need a lot of help. But what I'm saying is that uh, grumbling is easy if you start to not stay grateful. And then fear can get you to grumble, right? And if you look at uh, uh, Matthew uh, 14, 22, uh, I would say fear is often the child, I mean, excuse me, faith is often the child of fear. Faith is often the child of fear. Because sometimes we can look at fear like, you afraid? You got it's a weakness. No, you're always going to be afraid. You got to use and learn to channel things into energy and strength for God. Pain can be channeled to strength for God. Uh, and look in Matthew 14:22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while they, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind that was running against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Peter says, if it's you... Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came to forward to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I want to make a really just a quick important point on verse 27. Very quick little wording that Jesus says. It's everything. Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. It is I. The Greek words for it is I is, it's, it's really, said. it's, it's E-G-O, and then another word, E-I-M-I, so ego, E-M-I, a phrase used also in Isaiah. But by God, when God used that phrase, he alone claims to have power to rescue his people. It is I. This isn't just like, it is I, the way we look at somebody else that could help you. This is like a deeper meaning of faith. It is I. Take courage, it is I. Nothing, nothing that's going on can take you out. It is I. Fear propelled Peter out of the boat. He'd ridden these waves before, and he knew what storms could do, but he heard the stories about people drowning and huge waves and things. And he'd seen the wreckages, because on the Sea of Galilee, it was huge. It's a huge lake. I've been there. And huge storms come up. He, 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 he knew the storm could kill, and he wanted out because it was so bad when they said buffet against the waves. Now, what happens? Well, if you, look at, if you looked into the eyes of Peter at that time, you'd see fear. And when you see someone afraid, you see a suffocating heart racing fear. When you see someone really scared, they can't focus. Even when you're saying, look at me, look at me. It's going to be okay. Look at me. It's okay. They can't even really acknowledge. They're right there with you, but they're just too distracted. If Peter had seen Jesus walking on the water during a calm, peaceful day, do you think he would have walked out to him? I don't think so. I still don't think so. He had no choice. He was going to die, he thought. See, had the lake been a carpet smooth, have you ever water skied? Anybody ever water skied in here? Have you ever seen water looks like glass? Yeah. It's really fun to water ski on. Mm -hmm. Just you cruise, and the only thing you have is the wake, and you can jump the wave, and it's just like riding on glass. But if he saw, those are my younger years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> had the... Had the lake been a carpet smooth like glass, uh, do you think Peter would have begged Jesus to take him on a stroll across the top of the water? I don't think so. I don't think he would, because he wouldn't even be thinking that way. Yeah, hey, I want to walk on the water. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but if you give a man or a woman a choice between sure death and a crazy chance, they're going to take the chance every time. Mm -hmm. And that's why faith is the child of fear. Because it's going to grow up. It's good to have a little fear. Fear is going to push you to do one thing or the other because fear is putting you in a position where if you don't do something, it's going to get worse. Yeah. And see, so when you get in situations like that, God's going, this is a good little fuel because it's going to grow into faith or it's going to paralyze you. But if you're in a position where, what else can I do? It's going to put you in a position to take a risk because you're going to die. You know, uh, it wasn't logic that caused Moses to raise his staff on the bank of the Red Sea. It wasn't like, what are we going to do now? God says, 
quit praying and tell the people to go. He actually tells them that. I can't have time to go there. He says, stop praying. That's the only time I said, God, you know, prayer is good. But he goes, quit. What are you doing? Stop praying and now go. Because there's a time sometimes we can just pray. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to pray about it. You get even deceived about praying. You can get deceived about praying because prayer is awesome, but just continuing to pray over and over about something you know, just go now and do it. That's what God said. He goes, stop praying and get them going. Put your arms up. And, and because there was a life and death situation, they heard the rumbling of the horses and the chariots and 600 chariots of the most power-fortified army in the world coming at them. They were scared to death. And God said, enough praying. Let's do it. Boom. And... And, and it wasn't like logic's like Moses going, okay, what should we pray? No, he was like, it boom. It was just boom. And do you think any of those people went, I hope the water holds? They just went. <laughs> they just went because they had no choice. Fear was at the door. And when fear's at your door, it can be a time of great faith. So be grateful for fear. It wasn't medical research that convinced Naaman to dip seven times in the river in 2 Kings chapter 5. You can go there, but you don't need to go there today, but it wasn't just like, oh, wow, I've been reading the medical journals. This is good water. It's healing. No, it, it, it was faith. It wasn't common sense that caused Paul to abandon the law and embrace grace because he understood what the grace of his was. He re-entered re what a terrible, wicked, worst of sinners he was. Uh, at the beginning of every act of faith, there's often a seed of fear. So don't be faked out. At the beginning of every act of faith, there's often a seed of fear. Fear is good. Pain is good. Pain tells you you're still alive. Pain tells you, I've got to start swinging. I'm in a battle. I'm going to start praying, and I'm going to start swinging with God, and this is going to be useful, not oh, no. Uh, and it pushes you to get out of bed and go and make something happen. Uh, as we close here, in what ways do you think your desperation or your fearful times fuels your faith. What fuels your faith? Do you use fear to shut down or do you go, God Almighty? What kind of things do you fear in life right now? I'm going to challenge you to take that fear and, th and thank God. Thank God for the fear. Thank Him for the fear and go, now I want to believe that you are going to move forward with me, and I'm going to use this as motivation as I commit my ways. Amen. As you compare your fears to Peter's fear for safety, what would, you, uh, what, would, what would be your equivalent of walking on water? The risk you'd take to get to where God is, what would you do? The risk you got to take. You're going to walk across water. What's your risk? There's a risk to get closer to God. And what do you think Peter brought out of the storm experience that the other disciples who stayed in the boat didn't? Come on. You need to understand here that spiritual amnesia, if you don't read your Bible and remember what God did and what God is continuing to do, and, you and understand your history, we have all kinds of ancestry here, right? Yeah. Everybody from different backgrounds. But... Bigger than that, not that you negate your ancestry, because God did create all nations and your culture, but, but your history as a people of God, you need to study your family tree in the Bible and watch the people of faith and remember what they've done. So spiritual amnesia is a spiritual killer. Emotional amnesia will kill you spiritually. Because when you're in a moment of a really hard time 
and you're not staying consistent in the scriptures, you're going, it's just, you're going to forget all the things God did for you. And that's why staying grateful uh, will keep you uh, faithful. Yeah. And if you're grumbling and complaining, you are forgetting what God has done. Because if you're grateful, you, you, you remember the things God has done, and it'll keep you focused. So let's be reading our Bible. Let's remember. And I wanted you to ask yourself, what has God done in your life recently that you can thank Him for? Okay. And to God be the glory. Amen? Amen.